Hello and welcome to Mediation Matters. This series of podcasts explores how mediation can make the world a better place. Join me, Adam Gersh, founder and CEO of Global Mediation, the most active and fastest growing national provider of mediation services, as I discuss the latest developments, trends, updates, and important topical questions with real experts in the field. In this series, we will be exploring how to disagree well. We will take a behind the scenes look at mediation and we will share essential mediation skills and their practical application in a variety of conflict situations. And now for our special guest, enjoy the podcast. Donna Kasperson, I'm so delighted that you are joining us on this podcast. Um, let me just say a, a few things about Dana. Um, don't want to cause her any embarrassment, but she has a degree in conflict studies and mediation and works internationally as a mediator, teacher and creator of public dialogue processes and is also an award-winning performing artist and has developed and performed choreographic work throughout the world. Is that right, Donna? <laughs> That's right. And thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. No, that's wonderful. I am super excited that you've uh, that you're on the podcast because you really uh, come from a very different perspective um, from a sort of choreographic dance performing art. Um, I've been uh, I've I've been glued to your wonderful book, Changing the Conversation, and uh, which I've 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 got here, um, and I, I think it's been published in all different languages. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's been published now in eight languages, which is so it's so fun to see. Absolutely fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into conflict resolution and your and your background, because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, thank you. So um, I was have been working most of my life as a performer and a creator in the field of theater and dance, and um, at a certain point in my life, there was just so much conflict going on in, in so many areas and it really wasn't going well. And, and I was just suffering and I was seeing people around me suffering. And I had a friend who dragged me to a Marshall Rosenberg workshop. And I was like, Oh God, but I went. And as he was speaking, I had a, like a literal aha moment where I suddenly, I suddenly understood that it, there was a different way possible. And um, from that moment I started studying on my own and then I eventually went and the more I saw how conflict unfolds differently when you when you can see things differently um, the more I saw how it also spreads around the kind of ease that can come in and eventually I went and got a degree because I got more and more interested and started working in the field in a lot of different ways that's fantastic and I think it's so fascinating if I'm right somewhere in your book or I've read somewhere that you say actually you were really afraid of conflict and that made you wanted to study it more. Oh yeah, no, I tried to avoid it at any cost. I would like run around behind the scenes and try to tamp things down or like avoid conflict. And, and it was just exhausting and, you know, super ineffective. And, Absolutely. and so that I, that's why I started, but the more I got into it, the more I realized for one thing, it's impossible to get rid of conflict and conflict is so valuable when it is constructively approached. And so now I see it as this really is this place of opportunity. And I, I see now that every conflict is actually proposing a constructive change. It's kind of like a map to what might be possible. Right. And you, but you've got to hear what's behind it. I suppose that's the, the, the key, isn't it? What's it telling us? 
Yeah, so the tensions themselves, if you look beyond the tensions into what has caused the tensions, what do people care about behind it? What are the needs and interests in the situation? What are the forces that are impacting it? Then it becomes a much more complex, rich place where you can say, ah, okay, so here's what matters. Let's look at what might be possible given what matters to people on all sides. Yeah. That's fantastic. And one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm totally in awe of you about is the, your choreographic and your dance background because you talk about posture and the importance of, of of posture and I'm very conscious as we record this podcast you know how am I sitting what am I projecting <laughs> um I I know that um I I've had 30 years experience as a barrister and I think posture and tone is is, is very different when you're somebody once um you, you know sort of acted out how I was when I was wearing my wig and gown and when you take it off, you're very different. Um, mm -hmm. So I just wonder how your background in choreography has influenced your approach to, to conflict management. What are you seeing that maybe other people are not from, from your wealth of background in, in that area? Yeah, so, so I look at it a couple different ways. You know, of course, there's metaphoric ways of looking at it. You can, you can notice that as you work as a dancer, as a choreographer, you're taking opposing energies, apparently opposing energies, and finding ways to hold them together in order to express and illuminate meaning. And conflict is the same way. How do we hold these things together until we understand how they can be integrated in a way that moves forward constructively? And then there's also very practical ways of thinking about it, which are that in dance, you're always making decisions that shape the environment. And there's a, there's a there's just a, a huge number of decision categories that we think of as choreographic decision-making categories. And of course they, they show up in other situations as well. And I've actually, over the last year, I've been working on a project where we're making cards um, of these. So, and actually I have a few here, decision-making Fantastic. <laughs> what, so what does that say? Um, decision-making, because there's right. decision-making and then there's performer practice cards. Um, right. And so for example, we have here intention of action. What is the intention of the action? If the intention is not clear, the action won't be successful. So you can use these, excuse me, um, social norms. What social norms are we in relationship to? How are we responding to them? How are they impacting what's happening? How are we directing attention? Um, how are we organizing things spatially? So those are a few of, of examples of how we can, we can look from the choreographic perspective is that every situation is uh, there's never a neutral situation. It's already been shaped by just countless decisions and we can yeah. become more and more conscious of them. And a lot of them, if you think from a choreographic perspective, um, are they're often like, for example, spatial organization is often something that's inherited from the past. We do it how we did it. We don't even think about it, but it has a huge impact. Also, like you say, posture, how are we uh, how are people in the room? Are they sitting? Are they standing? Are they cramped in the corner? What's their proximity? How are they in relationship to the, let's say there's a mediator? Um, how are things organized physically? And because our body is recording everything. Yeah. And the way, and we're not always conscious of it, but it, it is part of the way we think and how our body has been, um, is, is in relationship to, uh, impacts how, what we're able to do and say and think <clears throat> in difficult times. Amazing. Do you think different people are, are, are more conscious of that than others? Or is there a level at which everybody is taking that information on and it influences them whether they like it or not? Yeah, absolutely. The body is always 
is always reading what's happening, is, is storing it. So even if we don't know on a on a yeah. on an unconscious level, we yeah. we it's it's happening anyway. And one of the things I love about your book, and I, I literally went to the library and I just it's just I know they say don't judge a book by its cover, but it did jump <laughs> out at me. And I love the fact that your book is laid out in quite an interesting way. It's mm. not just a load of words on a page, is it? Um, yeah, tell us about how you how you presented it because it's almost to me as I'm reading this, this is like, wow, this is so easy. It's just a PowerPoint presentation, basically in 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 a in between covers. How, how did you how did you lay it out? So I worked with Joost Elfers, who's a book packager and designer, and he um, he 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 found ways to spatialize the text. So to give it room, to give it um, relationship on the page. So similar to what we were just talking about, as opposed to just a pile of words that people just get overwhelmed with and can't deal with. This way offers people the opportunity to jump in on any page and find some information or relate it to some information on the next page through the way the, the colors and the placement um, guide them along and, and let them have space so they don't feel like they've already failed to move to the next chapter, but wherever you are, it might be, you know, have sufficient information for what you need to think about at that moment. It's really good. And one of the things that I love that we incorporate in training at Global Mediation and at uh, GTG, Global Training Group, is um, the concept of what does good look like? And what does it look like when it goes wrong? And I love the fact that through your book, Changing the Conversation, you've got 17 principles of conflict resolution and you've got, I think you call them anti-principles. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, um, I've been on a, a card making project this year. So I've just started producing these cards for that book. Um, so there's the, the principle, for example, principle number one is don't hear attack. Listen for what's behind the words. But sometimes the anti-principle is actually more informative because the anti-principle is here attack, ignore any additional information being offered. And so that we, actually resonates because we can all, we, we can all that, that, that just strikes a chord when you tell people what to do. Okay. You know, so I'll bear that in mind right, yeah. when, when you highlight what people are actually doing. Yeah. And then we, cause if you say, okay, Actually, that is what I'm, yeah, I am hearing attack and I'm completely ignoring all the other information. Sometimes that's actually more helpful. So I often work that way also when I'm teaching is we use counter, you know, counter examples as ways for the body because the body notices it. The body feels attack. The body's in response. The body knows if they're being, if it's being addressed on a level that has to do with what matters as opposed to some kind of external force. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating because I did so much study in law of all these models of negotiation and conflict resolution, and they're all based on principles, but they don't actually address the emotional side, mm. which is mm -hmm. so important. I would say probably, I mean, I, I don't know what percentage you'd put on it. I think about 80% of any discussion is, is, is emotional and how the people are feeling and what they're about. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we were, I was just talking about this yesterday with some people in a course that I'm teaching. Um, it's so frequent these days that people receive some intellig emotional intelligence training, but they are often just taught to express their emotions. Yeah. But emotions on their own, I think about emotions as flags, like needs are down at the bottom with a flagpole waving emotions. But the, if the emotions aren't allowed to do their work, which is to tell us what matters, then we're just stuck in a room of people 
uh, with these dynamic energies that aren't necessarily pointing us toward what we need. And so I actually often start that way now with, okay, let's identify the emotions. What are the needs attached to those emotions? And oftentimes that is for, at the beginning, a really arduous process for people to try to identify what needs are attached to their emotions because they're so attached to the emotions. Yes. And the, once you get down to the level of needs, then the emotions have kind of done their work and they can ease up and you can really focus on what, what matters. So are there, are there activities or things you can do to break beyond the emotions? I suppose that's what your, your, your book really drives at, isn't it? How to have a, have a, have a good disagreement, how to understand challenging conversations. And you know, this is actually one thing from the dance world that's also impacted me a lot is that the way dancers practice is not like we get it done and then it's done for all time. But instead every day dancers have a, a training, an hour and a half training in the morning where you go in and you reconnect to ideas. So you're not trying to repeat things, you're trying to reconnect to the idea and see how it manifests in that moment. And so for me, to the, your question about how, how do we um, work with emotion, work with things, is that th I see it as a daily practice of just noticing what's happening and asking yourself questions like, okay, I am so furious right now. What, what is it? What do I actually need at this moment that that, that emotion is telling me about? So just developing a, a practice of curiosity around whatever is happening with you and with people around you um, so that it becomes something that you, you do steadily. And it's not something that you have to buy like, oh, here's my book about conflict. I have to read it and then do the right thing. And, but instead, it's about noticing what you're already doing because we're already practicing conflict. We're already doing it constantly, but we might not be conscious of what we're practicing. And it might not be what we actually want to be practicing. We might be practicing things that are from the past or that are, aren't working. And so to become really conscious of every day to say, okay, oh God, and if it goes wrong to say, okay, let me take a step back. What did I do there? What was the impact? Why did I, what was I thinking? What was I needing? It's to start to have that be the kind of like fluid, I would say analysis that we do every day on a, on a gentle, compassionate level for ourselves and for others. Yeah, it requires, I mean, it, it, it is, it's not, as easy as it sounds, is it? Some yeah. of the I think the good thing about your guide and your book and your cards and your prompts is that you break it down to make it easier. But it's not easy to ask yourself why and what's important to me. It's, yeah. it's challenging. And I think that's because we we haven't been often haven't been taught that, and often our conflict cultures and our schools and our workplaces never practice that. And so it's just literally a matter of practice. And that's why I think it's helpful to go back to this idea of what dancers do. If we, if you never practice it, then it's really hard to do it. But if every day you're like, Ooh, okay. Did I connect on the level of interest and needs? Or was I really just stuck up there on that strategic level, battling back and forth without really understanding what matters to me or what matters to the other person. So I think the difficulty really shifts over time as you practice and it becomes so it becomes natural and becomes like a relief because then you're not you're not struggling in the same way of confusion and pain 
Yes, very, very interesting. I mean, it's as you're saying this, I'm reflecting that after 30 years in a legal career, which I've run alongside, you know, mediation, mm. why lawyers do things so differently. You know, they mm. learn a skill and then sort of shout it out at everyone else and then learn it a bit more. <laughs> and um, it's not that iterative um, design. I mean, in some it is, you know, to be to be better and better and, and, and learn and develop and grow, but it's just not the same practice. I don't think mm. we get the same feedback and build on what we've got. And um, it, it's just not coming from that mindful self space. It's coming from a need to perform and get results. And it, it, it's much more ego. And I'm what, what I'm what I'm sensing is a lot of your work really requires a little bit of introspection and humility. Yeah, I think of lot. I think of the work in general in conflict as internal work. I would say eighty percent of the work to move toward constructive changes happens before you talk to anybody else. Or it's all often your assumptions about what's happening, where you place your attention, what the impact of that is, how you support yourself to uh, consistently shift your attention toward, for example, what matters to you and others, um, to notice if you've gotten stuck up in kind of a defense attack mode and to be willing to say, okay, I'm gonna step out of that little cycle right there I'm going to try some. I'm going to consciously try something else. I'm going to consciously shift my attention to needs and interests. For sure. example. So we talked about the self and how we do that ourselves. Mm. Um, if you are working in a corporate setting or in in, in a, a setting where people need to um, see some tangible results, how does how does this approach? Um, you, you know, deliver what value is it um, for working with other people and getting more out of the person that you're in conflict with? You know, how how successful is that? Yeah. So oftentimes, what I find is that when people start working, maybe with with a way of dealing with conflict, they think, "Oh my God, this would just take forever, and it's impossible." And plus, you'd have to get the other person to agree. Yes. And what I find is, it doesn't matter about the other person agrees or not. Everybody in conflict is in conflict because they care about something and they all want to be heard. And if they haven't been heard, if they think they haven't been heard, they're going to repeat and they're going to usually just repeat their strategies or their attack because they, they've, they've like conflated it with what they care about. So it feels to them like they're expressing what they need, but they're often just expressing attack. Um, and so developing the capacity in yourself to listen past attack so that was that first thing that I put up there. Principle one, yes. don't hear attack. Listen before what's behind the words. And that doesn't mean become a martyr and give up and be passive or anything like that. It means um, notice that even when that person's driving you insane and you think they're completely <laughs> wrong, something matters to them. And if you can develop the capacity in yourself to be curious, even in those moments, enough to say something like, okay, I want to make sure I understand what, what's really important to you in this. Tell me more about what you what you really what matters to you. And if they come back to you with a strategy, say how would what would that help with, so that they can step they can step down from the strategy to to tell you what it is they care about, because it often seems like it's going to take longer. But what really takes longer is if you never really know what's at the heart of the conflict. Yes. So actually, knowledge is knowledge is power. And also um, unpacking, you you can you can do the exercise on yourself, but really you can practice it on somebody you're negotiating or in conflict with as well. And it's it it, it would be very powerful if you can separate one's own 
needs for a moment and 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 try and develop that curiosity which i think is 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 a fascinating um approach and obviously very effective um i remember reading and there's a lot of work done about how um one can only change what's in front of one's own desk and mm. you know it does make an influence on on other people and on the universe. Um, and I remember reading once in education uh, about a child who was supposed to, you know, had ADHD and the teachers couldn't control this child and they they, they put him on uh, Ritalin. And, um, you know, after a few months, the things got a lot better. The teacher wasn't uh, getting so frustrated with the child. And then it was revealed that, in fact, the child had not been taking the Ritalin. The child had been going to get a cup of coffee for the uh, teacher and uh, dropping a Ritalin pill in the teacher's coffee. And in fact, it was the teacher who had been on Ritalin. Um, but it was interesting that the perspective was, you know, I think this child is doing so much better now. In fact, the child was exactly the same. You know, the thing that had changed was the, was the approach. And I think it's a very tangible example of sometimes by changing oneself, you change the whole dynamic. And, you know, the, as you would say, the whole conversation changes. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been reading this, this fantastic book called Ideas, Arrangements and Effects. It's from the Design Studio for Social Intervention. And they talk about how, how things are organized, how spaces are organized, relationships. And one thing that I sticks in my mind from there is they say, um, we need to think with the audacity of world builders. And right. I think about that, like you say, we, we begin building the world with our own desk, with our own self. And to think about it, the audacity to say, Yes, I am affecting not only my internal experience, I'm affecting the experience around me. And to take that seriously and, and recognize that it, it matters what we choose to do in difficult times. It matters how we talk to people, how we listen to people. Because wow. we're building the world. That's a, I mean, that's a wonderful, as a wonderful positive thought mm. uh, to those who um, we often tell a, a story. Um, you, have you come across the story of the uh, starfish on the beach? Um, so there was a there, there's a, a story told of a man who is um, you know uh, 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 in the distance and they can't really work out what this uh, person is doing, and the two people are walking along and they see the person bend down and stand up and bend down and stand up and as they get closer, they see that uh, he's bending down and picking up a starfish and throwing it into the into the uh, sea, and uh, they they get very close to him and say, look, there's millions of starfish have washed up on the beach. You know, you can't possibly make a difference. At which point the person bends down, picks up the starfish, throws it into the water and says, well, made a difference to that one, you know, and it's, it, it's, I suppose it's, it, it things have um, an energy The you know, the universe has a natural um, uh, energy that we impact on and we all do it in some way. And I think it's really powerful to know that we are doing that and that we're, yeah. we're having an effect on other people. And I think that's a really, really empowering thought. To, I, I love the idea. I mean, I just absolutely love that, that we're building the world, you know, in terms yeah. of our, our domain. And I think that's how, that's why I think about conflict in terms of action, because a lot of times people think, oh, that's just my personality. I can't change anything. But in yeah. fact, we're constantly taking actions and, and conflict is a series of decisions and how it, how it goes depends on what we decide to do. So in, in fact, you would say probably, would you, that it's a common misconception of conflict in the, in, in the workplace that it, it just is, or that's just the personalities or this can't be changed. You, you, yeah. you actually, everything has an impact on everything else. And yeah, I think a, a common misconception is, is both that, 
that conflict is it's kind of an aberration and that it's a, a failure. Yeah. That when it happens, it's a problem and that means we didn't, you know, we messed up. But what I see is that when the way that can be addressed is to shift the attention. So for leaders to shift the attention, for people who are working in the organization to shift the attention to say, okay, here's a conflict. The conflict is a signal that something can shift. That yeah. some, we can move co toward constructive change and we need the information here to be able to do that. Yeah, fascinating um, thoughts. And I think it, it it's changing hearts and minds really, isn't it? About what the nature of conflict is. And a fantastic, a fantastic advocate um, uh, you, you've made because you came from really, as you say, uh, uh, an avoider of conflict, <laughs> and you've come full circle to be somebody who's a you know world expert in the in teaching how to to deal with that and coaching how to deal with that. Um, I love the explanation at the start of your book. Um, you talk about all the strands of conflict and mm -hmm. tell us about Aunt Marie. And I'm keen <laughs> to know if there really was an Aunt Marie and tell us what she taught you. Yes, that was my my great aunt uh, Marie. I went to live in Norway with my aunt Marie and uncle Albert Turalbert uh, when I was sixteen. And in Norway, everybody knits, and um, so she taught me how to knit. And when you're knitting, you invariably end up with a big mess of knots at a certain point. And I was like trying to pull a knot, pull a string out of the knot, and she would say, "No, no, you're just making things worse. You have to understand the overall connection." of these threads. You can't simply pull one thread out because that'll just tighten it. So you need to unravel the entire thing um, in order to undo the knot. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fascinating, and you use that uh, metaphor in the book, don't you, that you, you started off trying to just pull one thread and then you realized actually there, this is uh, multifaceted and you have to really be patient and look yeah. at do some do some thinking what's behind all the interaction exactly. of the different bits i think that's I think, wonderful i think what, the way that shows up in conflict often is that we often think okay i know what needs to happen here how to fix this i'm going to jam my own strategy through because everybody else just doesn't understand and that's pulling a single thread without knowing what the other threads are and that just almost never works effectively you end up with resentment and um, ineffective solutions and so that's why I find that you need to understand all the threads to understand where you are and what's possible. Fantastic. I, I love the analogy. And I'm, I'm, I'm really delighted that there really was an Aunt Marie. And it's, not, <laughs> it's not just a, 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 a metaphor. Or it was actually something. My, my grandfather's sister, my great Aunt Marie. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And um, if you had to um, just end with this, really, if you had to pick one um, you, you talk about 17 principles of conflict resolution. If you had to pick one, um, what's your favorite, your card or your, your, your uh, principle? But what would you, what I don't you really pick? have a, I don't have a favorite. I would think I would say one that kind of sums them up if, because yeah. I think it's important also to integrate ideas so that you have a feeling for yourself. So you're not like, Oh my God, I have to do principle three and then five, but instead what's my overall mindset. And I, one I think is actually principle 17, which is, Expect and plan for future conflict. I actually have the card here. Right. Expect and plan. And the, of course, the anti-principle of that is ignore the possibility of future conflict and have no plans for dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's often where we are. Yeah, but we but, don't I mean, have to be. 
<laughs> I'm I'm laughing, um, and 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 you end by 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 saying that, don't you? That that it's tempting to think of conflict as a, as, as an aberration, as you've said mm. here, but it's 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 actually it's it, it's continual. We're constantly overlapping, weaving, uh, mm-hmm. working together, and I suppose that's where where the perspective as a as a dancer and choreographer come come in. Is there anyone else? Is this is this quite unusual? I've not come across anyone else who's taken the dancing choreography um, s- sort of lens and applied it to, to conflict resolution. I think there are people in the dance world who work also in, uh, in conflict. Um, and there's people certainly in theater working with forum theater. I think your sister, you mentioned. Um, yes. With- yeah. Emma, Emma yeah. Uh, does a lot of training and uh, for global training group and um, yeah. she uses the forum theater. So yes, there's, there's definitely an arts, uh, overlap, um, but I think it's I think it's a, a fascinating perspective. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to you about getting hold of these cards, which oh, yeah. are which which are in development. I've also created posters that have all the 17 principles and anti principles on them. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so we, so we... Just to your just to your question there about uh, yeah, yeah. how how it works. I think what what I'm interested in is is how dance, not how dance, not how we dance conflict, but how, what has interested me is how the practices of dance um, promote or are transferable in the sense of understanding that we're always in motion, we're always making decisions, we're always in relationship, and that we always have possibility and responsibility to notice what it is that we're deciding to do to shape the world that we want to shape. That's fantastic. Really, I, I, I could talk to you forever, Donna, and um, really enjoyed really enjoyed reading your book. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to come on the podcast. Look forward to seeing and following with interest what you uh, do next, um, both in the world of performing arts and in the world of um, conflict resolution. That you've had such a, a great impact on me, and I know all the people here. Uh, we, I, I've given them all a copy of of your book. Uh, changing the conversation. Um, I'm going to be in touch with you to order more. I think I've, I'm excited to know it comes in different colors in different countries um, and you've got cards that accompany it. So uh, we look forward to sort of following and seeing that through. And, and anyone who writes a, a book, I've got so many books, I have to say, that I've started and I have a bookmark, you know, a third of the way through. Anyone who who, who writes uh, a wonderful, inspiring book and says you can start it anywhere, you know, you've already, you, you've won me over immediately. <laughs> so that's fantastic. <laughs> and cards even better. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every book or every piece of information came, you know, so beautifully uh, spaced and illustrated and accessible mm. in, 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 in that way? You know, you had a, you had, every, every book was, yeah, you know, take take as much of it as you find useful. It's all good. So because it's exhausting, conflict's exhausting, and so it's good to have things that can help you when you're when you're weary and when you're curious. So actually, I have a second book coming out soon. Oh, tell us about that when it comes up. Um, So that one is is based on twenty questions. So then I'm getting down to okay, what are twenty decisions that we're always making in every conflict? So it's similarly, you can jump in anywhere to whatever draws you that day and look at, okay, what decisions have been made in this category? How are they impacting what's happening? And also, there's also cards coming out with that. So hopefully that'll in the next couple months. Amazing. Well, I look forward. I look forward to that, and maybe we'll and we'll we'll certainly uh, continue our conversation and our dialogue. Love to 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 hear more about all of those um, uh, 
um, things. But in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I've really learned a lot. It's been a fabulous conversation. Certainly not one I want to change. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see you. Uh, we'll, we'll meet up in, in person soon. But thank you so much, Dana. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Likewise. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mediation Matters. Please remember to subscribe for future episodes.